Hello, everyone. This is Adam Austin, and I'm joined by Alex Toombs. Alec Toombs, not Alex Toombs. Uh, with the Grade A Movies podcast today, uh, Larry Landon, who usually handles the hosting duties, uh, could not make it today. So we are not blessed with Larry's deep baritone radio voice, which sounds so much better than me. I sound like I'm still in high school, but that's okay. We're going to power, power through without Larry. Dulcet tones of Larry Landon. He does. You know, I need Larry to narrate some bedtime stories. It's very relaxing, his voice. So He's got a hell of a voice, much better than yours or mine. <laughs> so today is Halloween, and so we will talk about a few horror films. Uh, we did cover those in last week's episode, so it won't be the majority of what we talk about. But uh, good to see you again, Alec. Any plans today for Halloween? Uh, my wife and I are dressing up as supermarket sweep contestants. So I thought doing supermarket, this show came back recently with Leslie Jones. Yeah, it's pretty entertaining if you haven't seen it. She's pretty funny. It's interesting that we just went through a time where people were hoarding toilet paper and stocking up as much as we can. And then TV producers were like, let's bring back supermarket sweep. This seems like the time. Uh yeah, they brought the old ones back on Netflix a while ago. My wife and I certainly enjoyed that early in quarantine. There was an episode where the uh, announcer, Johnny Gilbert, uh, says, Now Leslie's in diapers. Which she was getting diapers in her car, but it made it sound like she was physically wearing diapers. And my wife and I both fell off the couch laughing. So, Well, I wonder how much do the items, were the prices really different watching the old ones? Um, it seemed like on the old show, all they would do is throw hams and turkeys in their cart. Now they're going for like Yeti coolers and stuff. Okay. It's not, now it's like a vegan tofu turkey they're throwing in there. Um, honey (laughs) seems to be a hot item. Honey? Honey. Yeah. I don't know. You're, you're a restaurateur. Is honey super expensive generally? I mean, if you get some good honey, I guess. Saffron is expensive. Um, olive oil is expensive. Yeah. Those kind of things would be good to get. Um, well, uh, sounds like a good costume. I am not dressing up this year, um, but we are dressing our daughter up as Peppa Pig, and we'll do like a three or four houses on our street and call it a day. One, because she's only two and doesn't really understand trick-or-treating. Uh, she hasn't done it before, but I'm sure she'll like it. And uh, also with COVID, we're not going to do too many houses. That's okay. She doesn't need a ton of candy. I took my niece trick-or-treating for the first time when she was, like, four. She was dressed as a puppy, and she was scared to go out. Uh, but the, she saw all the other kids having fun and eventually kind of fell into it. I just took her down to her grandparents' house, and they pretty much dumped the candy bucket into her bag. So, Al, what age did you stop trick-or-treating? Um, I'm still trick-or-treating. <laughs> yeah, so- 39 years old, I'm still doing it. <laughs> So I stopped, I think, in, like, second or third grade because I thought, oh, I'm too old for it. And then, like, two or three years later, when I was maybe, like, in sixth grade or so or maybe old enough like that, then I was taking my brother and sister trick-or-treating, but I wanted some candy, too, if I did it. So you acted like the chaperone, but you still had a bag for yourself is pretty much what I'm hearing. Pretty much. I figured if I had to take them, I was going to get my candy, too. I won't lie to you. I think I trick-or-treated my freshman year of high school with some girls, and I think I had, like, facial hair and stuff. And people <laughs> definitely gave me guff. They're like, 
are you sure? Like, should you be here? What are you doing? I'm of the opinion that if anyone comes to their door, I don't care if it's a 45-year-old man. If somebody wants some candy, I'll give them some candy. It's no problem. If you're in some sort of costume, or at least you're polite and friendly, I'll, I'll throw you some candy. You know, here's yeah. a reason to have a good night. <laughs> if you really want candy, I'll give you candy. I, I like candy, too. I get it. I mean. Uh, so we're going to talk about extreme movies. So being Halloween, is there a movie that you watch every year on Halloween? Uh, most years, I will at least watch a handful of the Halloween movies. Uh, the John Carpenter yeah. yeah. There you go. <laughs> um, I did a little differently this year. I uh, compiled a list of uh, the the Halloween movies, ranking them, and uh, I needed to catch up with some of Rob Zombie's entries. So I uh, picked up some of those on Blu-ray. Um, kind of an interesting watch. Lots of F-bombs, lots of violence. Um See, I really enjoyed House of a Thousand Corpses and Devil's Rejects that Rob Zombie did. A really good movie. Everything else in his filmography is kind of missed for me. But those two, I think, are pretty good. Uh, the Halloween ones, I thought the first one was all right. The second one that Rob Zombie did, I know a lot of people enjoy it. I think he got a little ambitious with some of the story and character development, which makes it interesting, but also right. maybe maybe misses his ambition I- I probably preferred the second to the first. The first one is pretty much half of it's a Rob Zombie movie, and then it's like a fast-forward remake of John Carpenter's Halloween through the second half. Uh, the second Halloween movie almost feels like he just did a bunch of mushrooms or mescaline, and he's on a vision quest with a white horse, and he's doing his thing, baby. My dad met Rob Zombie once. when It was kind of a funny thing. My dad has always been in the restaurant industry. And a customer said, hey, I got tickets to a concert. Do you want to go? And it was um, the OzFest. And my dad's not a heavy metal Aussie guy. My dad's more of a a Yes, Moody Blues, Emerson, Lake, and Palmer, prog rock, 20-minute keyboard solo kind of guy. But he went with his friend, and he was hanging out backstage. And he met uh, Jack and Kelly Osborne. It was when that show was popular. And there was some guy sitting in a makeup chair. Uh, my dad didn't recognize him, and he just started talking to him about football and uh, talking about the NFL, which teams are going to do well. And as he was talking to this guy, and more and more makeup was being uh, glued and added to him, they, my dad realized, wait a second, you're Rob Zombie, aren't you? <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't realize I was talking to Rob Zombie. I'm kind of surprised to hear Zombie's a football fan. but uh, I know he's a hockey fan. I'm not surprised. I think he sounds... I've heard some interviews with Rob Zombie, and he seems like a pretty well-rounded, cool dude. Kind of like Alice Cooper in that sense, where uh, he's pretty smart, and it's not surprising that he was a pretty good film director. Even though some of his films may have missed, he does have some talent. All right, so um, any horror films you've watched recently that you want to highlight? Uh, well, I stayed up way too late last night and drank a little too much with our uh, our mutual friend, Jake Belinsky. Um, we watched a uh, Polish slasher movie that just dropped on Netflix called Nobody Sleeps in the Woods Tonight. Um, I think that's the name of it. At least, yeah, Nobody Sleeps in the Woods Tonight. 
Um, on Netflix, Polish subtitled slasher. Pretty entertaining. Some good gore. Some weird, like, leper-looking dudes murdering teenagers in the woods. We enjoyed it. Well, great. Uh, I revisited a few old horror films that I hadn't seen. Uh, I watched It Follows, which... It's a good movie. It's good. It's a real slow burn. So if you already know what's happening on the second watch, it isn't as exciting as first watch when you're kind of having that suspense of what's going to happen next. But it's still a good film. If you haven't seen it, it's a little more out there, but it's a definitely creative concept. I watched Children of the Corn, which uh, holds up. Those child actors were pretty entertaining, especially the Isaac character. The remake. There's there's a new one that just came out. There's a new sequel. It's either a remake, reboot, cool sequel. It's playing in like two theaters, and they're only in Sarasota, Florida. Well, I'm not going to drive to Sarasota to see that. Uh, Understandable. Um, (laughs) Kurt Kurt Wimmer, the guy who directed Equilibrium, if you remember that movie, the... uh, Mm-hmm. Christian Bale, Gunkata movie, directed it. Um, I think it'll be on VOD at some point. But uh, yeah, there's a brand new Children of the Corn. Well, uh, so we're going to go hit, hit into a few recent uh, new releases that each of us have seen. And uh, some of these reviewed, I haven't had a chance to write up all of them. And some of them, I think, uh, were a little older, so I haven't written the reviews just for that reason. But uh, we've got a handful each. So you want to start off with some new movies that you've seen and reviewed? Uh, sure. I uh, I did a double bill at the uh, the theater last weekend. I saw a movie called Synchronic, which is actually one of my top five favorite movies of the year so far. It's uh, directed by Vincent and Moorhead, uh, indie horror directors known for the movie Spring. Um, this one... Is a sci-fi movie. Um, it stars Anthony Mackie and uh, Jamie Dornan. Uh, they're paramedics in New Orleans who are seeing a rash of serious incidents spurred by a street drug called Synchronic. I don't really want to go into where it goes from there. I will say, beautifully made, very moving. I cried at the movie, which was awkward with a mask on, but uh, I thought it was great. So when if people want to go out to a theater and see it, I would recommend it. Or if you want to wait, catch it on home video. Well worth your time. It's synchronic. And you, it was a double feature. What else did you see? I saw the horror movie uh, The Empty Man, starring James Badge Dale. I don't know. If, are you familiar with him? Yeah. He's never had too many starring roles, but I remember him popping up in a few things. Yeah, he was in The Departed. He was the other crooked cop. Mm-hmm. who uh, Matt Damon shoots in the head at the end of the movie. He was on 24 back in the day. Um, he was really good in Michael Bay's uh, some Benghazi movie. Uh... Yeah, something hours. Yes, yeah, the Benghazi movie that Michael Bay made. He kind of stole the movie, in my opinion. Uh, good actor. The movie is good. It's a horror movie, and it's two hours and 17 minutes long. So it, it's probably lengthier than it needs to be. Um, I'm trying to remember the name of the gentleman who directed it. Let me look this up on my phone real quick. This makes for great entertainment right now. Speaking of long horror films, that was the problem with uh, last year with Midsummer for me. And, I love that movie. <laughs> well, I really enjoy it. I think the length hurts that film. I think it 
I think that's one. I think horror films are an example that if they're too long, look, I'll be honest, horror, action, and, and when I say action, I mean Fast and the Furious style car wreck action and comedy. Those films need to be two hours and under. And part of the reason I say that is even with comedy, you can't laugh for two and a half hours. It's just exhausting. Um, horror films you can't be on the edge of your seat and suspenseful for two and a half hours it's it's too much i can do it for an avengers a harry potter a lord of the rings or even a drama film like a lincoln or something like that where there's a lot of story to pack in there i get it but i think uh for a horror film i think you got to keep it under two hours Sometimes the benefits, I think, from being longer, though, it can really grind your gears and you kind of get empathetic to the characters. Like, you are being traumatized yourself by the length of the movie. What about It Chapter 2? That was another one that was way too long, don't you think? The opening scene of that movie just really bummed me out. Seeing, like, a hate crime perpetrated against a gay couple after that, I kind of like, I don't really want to watch the rest of this. I'm sad and, like, want to hug now. It was in, that was in the book, though. Yeah, it's just the way it was... Uh, committed the film was uh, insensitive you think graphic upset I mean the movie's fine I didn't think it was anywhere near as good as the first one but uh, I don't know kind of left a bad taste in my mouth who is the uh, director his name is David Pryor mm-hmm. he he's making his feature debut with The Empty Man he also edited the movie which probably somewhat uh, is to blame for the two hours and 17 minutes uh, I like the movie. I didn't like it nearly as well as Synchronic. Uh, Pryor has an interesting history. He made all the behind-the-scenes documentaries for a lot of uh, David Fincher's movies. So, like, on the physical media releases of his flicks. He was the guy making the, the behind-the-scenes stuff. Uh, and the movie kind of has a Fincher feel to it. The, he lets scenes play. He's really good at composing shots. Uh, I thought James Dale was great in the movie and conveyed a lot using very little, lots of facial expressions for humor. Um, I would recommend the movie. I don't know when it was, like, it was made, I think, back in, like, 2018, and it's just been sitting on a shelf. Fox didn't know what to do with it. Disney owns Fox now. Halloween time, let's dump it. But uh, kind of a pleasant surprise. Yeah, I think we're getting some better VOD options. Uh, I think at first there were some that came out that were a treat that people didn't expect. But now I think studios are, they were holding on to a few things have decided let's just go VOD because there's not really light at the end of the tunnel right now. Um, I did watch uh, a couple options. A few of these were in theaters and some of these were streaming only. The first is a film that was one of the first to come out in theaters around the same time that Tenet did when theaters reopened and that is Unhinged, uh, the Russell Crowe vehicle. And this is a fun. Did you see this film, Alec? I haven't yet. I want to. I should have gone and seen it in the theater. My wife didn't want to see it. She's like, just another pissed off white guy. Why do I need that? It film? is. It is. <laughs> so it's a fun film to talk about with people because it's so out there. Uh, if you didn't know the plot, Russell Crowe, who, by the way, I would say that he put on weight for the role, but I don't know if he ever really took it off from some of his recent roles like Boy Erased or when he played Roger Ailes in that uh, miniseries about Fox. He's kind of stayed uh, a little fluffier than his Gladiator days, where he was ripped back in 2001. I um, know he kind of worshipped Oliver Reed when he yeah. made Gladiator with him, and I think he's kind of turned 
and to Oliver Reed. No, he's yeah. So Dallas the Pro, um, nominated for many Oscars. He's won one and uh, great actor. And now he's in kind of a pulpy, little almost cheesy, suspenseful thriller where the premise is he is an angry white guy who gets cut off in traffic by a woman who's just having a really rough day. She's getting a divorce. She's late to work. Things aren't going her way, and she needs to get somewhere on time, and she cuts off Russell Crowe. Russell Crowe is unhinged, as the title shows, and uh, does not take it too kindly when she cuts him off, Pulls, rolls down the window and starts trying to get an apology when she refuses to apologize out of stubbornness, he takes it to the extreme and begins following her on this crazy car chase. There are some unbelievable plot points in the film where he, I'm going to give away some things. I'm sorry, but it's just films too crazy not to spoil some things to talk about it. He steals her cell phone. And there's a part earlier in the film where her son's looking at the cell phone and is like, Mom, why don't you have a passcode on your phone? That's so unsafe. Oh, well, I don't have it because that's dangerous while driving. And I'm thinking, wow, this is definitely the uh, what they call it, the Chekhov's gun, where if you see a loaded gun in Act 1, you know it's going off in Act 3. This was definitely <laughs> obvious foreshadowing. So Russell Crowe steals her phone, plants a phone in her car, and he starts calling her, messing with her on the phone, He's going through her contact list saying, who do you want me to kill from that you know? All these crazy, unbelievable things happen. Uh, Great car chases. And you have an Oscar-winning actor who is over the top in his performance. So it makes for a lot of fun. The downside is, yes, this is angry white guy falling down. The Michael Douglas film where a guy starts gunning people down because he can't get an egg McMuffin at 10.31 a.m. Did you feel unhinged had the social commentary of falling down? I mean, I think falling down was ultimately trying to say something. Is unhinged just... He's pissed off, he's white, and this is the fallout? The difference between um, unhinged or falling down or Joker or Taxi Driver is this film clearly makes Russell Crowe the villain. Okay. So you don't sympathize with him as much. Okay. Because they try, in the first act, they really want you to build sympathy for this woman. She's having a rough day. She's trying to do what's right, and this crazy guy cuts her off. So there will be some nut jobs who watch the film and say Russell Crowe was completely right. But the film doesn't push that angle as much as... There was a film a couple years ago, which I a lot of people like that I just could not stand. It was Joel Murray, Bill Murray's brother, in God Bless America. Did you ever see that one? I did. I found it to be a very interesting movie. It was a similar film where a guy started killing people who were rude or impolite. He and a teenage girl going a rampage. Yeah. yeah. Those films can be entertaining, but I worry uh, the danger they have for unhinged audiences who watch them. Sure. Um so it's definitely an interesting time for this Russell Crowe movie to come out. I think there are some people who are uh, stressed out. like the Yeah, world. happy 2020. <laughs> and there are some people who are straight up unhinged in our society, too. Yeah, so, they're in the White House right now. <laughs> so we've, uh, it was, I don't know, I will say this. Is it a great film? No. 
is it an entertaining film? Certainly. I paid the $20 rental fee. And I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if I would recommend that $20 fee for everyone unless you're really hankering to see this. Um, I'm going to hit it up on Redbox in a couple weeks. I think that's my point. It will be out on Redbox or on Amazon for $5 uh, very soon. So you'll enjoy the hour and a half time. I did just spend $20 renting a movie myself earlier this week. I wrote a review of it. That's up on Great Day Movies and uh, the film, yeah. Is that Uh, The Craft? uh, Yeah, The Craft Legacy, Mm -hmm. which uh, I watched and for the most part enjoyed. It's not very scary. Um, It certainly puts more emphasis on being woke as opposed to being uh, frightening, but uh, I enjoyed it. The uh, the main actress in it, I think, is very talented. A young lady named uh, Callie Spaney. Spaney. She was in a movie uh, I saw a couple of years back that I loved, uh, Bad Times at the El Royale. Mm-hmm. And uh, she's kind of the lead in this flick. Uh, there's a few familiar faces in it. David Duchovny is in it. And uh, Michelle Monaghan. That was fun. It's and certainly out, we'll- right? Sorry? It's, it's a Blumhouse film? It is Blumhouse. Uh, actress turned writer-director Zoe Lister-Jones made the movie. I think she was on a sitcom on CBS. Uh, I'm trying to remember. Colin Hanks was on it. Okay. I don't know. The woman's acted a lot. Now she's making movies. Uh, they leave it open to make another one. If they do another one, I'll check it out. Hopefully I don't have to pay 20 bucks to watch it at home. But uh, Craft Legacy, worth a watch. Blumhouse, I enjoy some of their films, but they put out so many and some, so many are low budget that they can be kind of hit or miss for me. But their business model makes absolute sense. Smaller budget films that from interesting filmmakers, and some of them are going to bomb, but every once in a while, Blumhouse gets a huge hit like the Purge series, and they make get a out. get out, and they make a ton of money off a film that didn't have a big production budget. So... They are definitely killing it when it comes to horror, and they're actually a nice launching point for a lot of young filmmakers nowadays. Yeah, I tried to watch one of their movies last night, um, part of the uh, Welcome to the Blumhouse mm-hmm. deal that's on Amazon. started uh, Black Box, and it was good, but uh, not not really scratching the Halloween itch for me. It felt more kind of like a Lifetime movie or something. I needed to bail out. So instead of doing that, I watched uh, Trick which came out last year, uh, Patrick Lussier movie, uh, brand new slasher. Um, watch that with Jake, and then uh, we watched that Polish slasher movie as well. So I um, watched a few other films that were in theaters that are now available. These are ones that you don't have to pay to watch. One of them is on Apple TV, and I think most people who are Apple TV subscribers, it came free with buying their new iPhone or something. That's how I got my subscription. There isn't a lot of content on Apple TV right now. They have uh, the TV show with uh, Steve Carell and uh, was it the the news show, the morning show is called. Jennifer yeah, Aniston and Reese. I've heard good stuff about the Jason Sudeikis show on their yeah. Ted Lasso. Ted Lasso. So they have those two shows. They had the Tom Hanks film Greyhound that was dropped there. Yeah. And uh, But this On the Rocks is another feature film by Oscar nominee. I think she won for screenwriting, uh, Sofia Coppola. And uh, she returns with another Bill Murray movie 
Sofia Coppola and Bill Murray have not teamed up since their Best Picture nominated film, Lost in Translation, which is much adored by many. Uh, some people think it was overrated or maligned. I first didn't like Lost in Translation when I originally saw it. I think it was overhyped, but I grew to like it over time, the subtle performances and the fact that it didn't need a lot of story to tell uh, something interesting between the two characters. Again, Bill Murray is teamed up with a younger actress, this time in Rashida Jones, but instead of being a romance between the two, it is a father-daughter relationship. And actually, this film is very different from Lost in Translation. So if you hated Lost in Translation, you might actually like On the Rocks. On the Rocks is a, a simple kind of um, quirky comedy with some romance in it. Rashida Jones worries that her husband, played by Marlon Wayans, is cheating on her. So her dad, Bill Murray, who's free-spirited, a womanizer, who kind of has been in and out of her life throughout the years, um, he returns, hangs out with Rashida Jones and helps her find out if her husband is cheating. And her dad is really into it. He's, uh, helping her follow him in the car and spy on him. It's got a lot of funny moments. Bill Murray is full of energy and delightful. It's much different than his restrained performance in Lost in Translation. This is more like the Groundhog Day, um, some of, uh, his, uh, Scrooged, kind of the the arrogant uh, playboy Bill Murray that you enjoy more than the Wes Anderson lost in translation restrained Bill Murray. So I give it, I give it probably four out of five. I enjoyed it. Okay. Uh, it wouldn't be a, I wouldn't say it's an Oscar worthy picture, but it's certainly one that if people are going to theaters, I think this is worthy of seeing it in a the theater. It's, it's good enough for that. If you're a local, uh, to the Indianapolis area, I believe it's still playing at Landmark at Keystone at the Crossing. Yeah, I think it is. I think I saw that. I was scrolling through that. I think it may be exclusively there. I want to see it. I don't have Apple TV, so uh, maybe I should try to run out there before it leaves. I do think that if you want to watch it, Apple TV will give everyone a free month free and you just cancel. So if oh. there's something you're interested in, you could probably do it for that reason. I'm an Android boy. I, I, I don't... I don't know that I have anything that maybe my TV would stream well, I, have, I have a Sony smart TV, and the Sony smart TVs won't do the Apple thing. Okay, I have an LG smart TV. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, it's weird. Some of the streaming apps, you can't do everything. And then on the Apple TV, you can't get, uh, I think, the Disney Plus or HBO Max or something because they're all competing with each other. Right. So they don't I mean, allow I use my Xbox as my media hub, and I would assume they and Apple are competitors, and probably uh, Xbox wouldn't make Apple TV readily available on, on their product. I would imagine. But, uh, um, I also watched, and I, I know we, I mentioned the kids' movies since I have a younger kid, which you might hear in the background running around. Can you hear that? So, I heard her just a tiny bit. Yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing pictures of Peppa Pig. <laughs> So um, we watched a kid's movie together, which a lot of times when I put on a kid's movie for her, I'm anticipating zoning out. I'm not interested. It, some of these kids' movies do nothing for me. But this one was actually not too bad. It's called Over the Moon, and it's streaming on Netflix. Uh, I think it's DreamWorks Animation, and uh, it is set in China about a young girl whose mother has passed away. And her father is getting remarried. She's having a hard time dealing with that. And she's getting a new stepbrother. 
and uh, she wants to see her mom again, but her mom is dead. But she was always told about this legend of the moon goddess and the spirits there. And so she devises a plan to build her own rocket and fly to the moon. And uh, it's got a lot of songs. The songs are quite catchy. They're reminiscent of old Disney, at least the first half. And then when you get to the moon, the goddess sings uh, something more like modern day pop songs, which I didn't enjoy as much. But uh, it's not as good as some of the great Pixar films where two, two childless adults will go see Up or Toy Story 3 or 4 and, and enjoy it. Um, but if you do have kids, this is one that you may not be scrolling through your phone. You may actually watch it too. Um, I put it in the same level as that mid to lower tier Pixar films. Um, it's, it's, it's pretty decent. Um, just like a lot of the Pixar films, though, in the kids' movies, I feel like it lost a, lost me a little bit when it got to the moon because that's when the crazy, zany stuff happens. You had this ghost dog voiced by Ken Yong from uh, Community, Ken Jong, And um, they also... Uh, it ghost little, dog wasn't voiced by Forrest Whitaker? Uh, there's mostly Asian actors in this okay. film. Uh, John Cho is one of the dads. Uh, I think uh, Margaret Cho. Um, yeah, it's it's a who's who of uh, well-known Asian actors doing the roles. Um, but, you know, just kind of like with Up, where I loved the first part, where it was more grounded. And then when they got to the mountain and there was the robot dogs and stuff, they kind of lost me. Or with Wally, I loved it when Wally was by himself. And then when they got up to the spaceship, you kind of lost me there. This film does the same thing. I can't blame it. It's meant for kids. Kids don't want Wally on the planet by himself the whole time, even though I would have dug that. But I think your kids would enjoy it. And uh, you don't have to pay any money. You can watch it on Netflix. And so that's another good thing there. So that's one I recommend. And uh, finally, I watched one that we both watched. Uh, you saw this recently. Uh, yes, God, Yes. Yeah, I reviewed that, I think, uh, sometime in June or July. Yeah. It's now available to watch on Netflix without having to pay for a rental or subscription. Did you see it, uh, VOD, when you watched it? I got a link from the nice folks at the studio. Uh, oh, yeah. It came out. Um, it's got Natalia Dyer, who you know from uh, Stranger Things, and kind of a set in the 90s um, teen comedy although i don't it's kind of funny about a young comedy if i remember right yeah dealing with uh her blossoming sexuality and sexual desires while going to a strict catholic school which discourages any of that i enjoyed it um i kept being reminded of a much superior film that dealt with this topic and that was saved featuring it reminded me a lot of that and i did think saved was a better picture they're both good but saved is better but considering you don't have to pay to rent it, you might enjoy it. If you are offended by things that make fun of religion, this is not the movie for you, though. Um, I guess that's true, but I think it's also praising religion for people who practice it honestly and openly. Oh, I wasn't offended, and I'm a Christian. But if you right. are, if you're someone who's going to get offended by any kind of criticism of the church, yeah, skip this one. 
it seemed to be preaching the idea of practice what you preach, which some people need to hear. And I, I don't know. I, I thought it was pretty good. I, th- I thought she was especially good in it. She kind of carries the movie. Um, there's an actor. I think his name is Timothy Simons. A lot of folks may remember from Veep. Yeah. Um, he's good in a supporting role as the uh, like a youth minister or somebody at her school who oversees a program that she's at for a weekend. Um, I probably didn't relate to the movie as much as a lot of folks because I'm a heathen and don't really practice any of this stuff. But uh, thought it was well done. Um, and then finally, um, we got some news before we get into kind of our uh, best movies of the week. We kind of usually have a topic of something that we kind of rank or discuss there. But um, some movie theaters are reopening. Flick's Brewhouse in Carmel, which I know that I live in Carmel, is a big deal to us. But you've been to Flick's Brewhouse. I have. Uh, they announced that next week, I think November 5th, uh, Thursday, they will be reopening. Um, they're going to be doing a lot of older films, uh, considering there isn't a ton out right now. But uh, they worked things out with their landlord. They got their policies in place, and they will be reopening to the public. And if you do go, they are going to have two seats between every group. Um, I didn't know hear all the details on the mask policy. It might be difficult for them because they have a restaurant. People are eating food and drinking drinks in the seats because it's a restaurant slash movie theater. Um, but I'll be interested to see maybe outside of the theater bathrooms areas. <laughs> Hi, sweetheart. <laughs> yeah. If they, if they have a, a policy for that, for the mask. So I can't answer those questions. I'm sure they'll have some sort of policy. It seemed predominantly like they're doing some classic films. I know like Jurassic yeah. Park one they're showing they do have uh, some good deals though kids eat free that first weekend oh, that's so cool that's a pretty good if you have kids that's that'll save you some money uh and uh, i think they have discounts on the beers but one deal that really kind of struck me even if you don't want to eat at the theater if you go have a growler and you want to fill it up there five dollar growler fills the first weekend wow that's a good deal yeah and i think some of their beers are pretty good so that's not a bad price there um, yeah. So ch- check out and support Flix Brewhouse. They've been gone for eight months. So we'd love to see them bounce back in a big way, and it'll be difficult the next few months. But I, I think the thousands of people were commenting how excited they were that they came back. So hopefully that enthusiasm equates to dollars for them. It is a nice facility. They have uh, good beer and good food. So uh, wishing them the best of luck. Uh, Finally, we have Election Day coming up, and Alec and I both voted already. Um, I voted in Hamilton County, so I had a 45-minute wait. Alec, being in Marion County, waited about two hours, you said? It was two hours on the nose. Went uh, downtown to the uh, city county building. Uh, It was a really good time. I went with four other people. We waited in line. We were outside most of the time. Everybody was in masks. Um there was a musician there. He had a guest vocalist. Heard a lot of good songs. I requested some songs. Uh, there was a gentleman there writing poems. If you give him words, I had him write me a poem. Uh, it was really fun. I'm looking forward to voting again sometime soon. So, <laughs> so if you haven't voted yet, please vote. I know in Marion County they are opening additional early voting locations. Um, I think today and uh, Monday. Lucas Oil is open today. Lucas Oil. 
So they are trying to do their best to accommodate everybody who wants to vote early. And of course, you can vote on Election Day as well. Uh, but in the theme with election, we thought we'd talk about uh, a few of our favorite movies that deal with politics. And I've got a list here. We don't have to rank them all, but if there's a few that you wanted to kind of mention that uh, you think uh, are great films that capture politics, uh, I'll let Alec lead with one that he wants to mention first. Where did you post your list, buddy? Was it I, on it on Letterboxd? Was it on Letterboxd? Yeah. Um, I definitely remember you referencing Election, the Alexander Payne yeah. movie from 99. Um, while it doesn't directly deal with nationwide politics, more high school politics, it uh, works as a nice analogy, I feel, and it's probably uh, very true and uh, true of our moment right now, just the pettiness and the spitefulness of all of it. Uh, great performances in that movie from Matthew Broderick and Reese Witherspoon. Chris Klein's really funny in the movie as well. Uh, it's probably my favorite political movie. I use that reference a lot too, especially when I think people like to anal- uh, compare it to today's candidates. I think we saw someone years ago say that Hillary was like uh, Tracy Flick because she was, you know, they were saying it kind of an insult because she I, was overly I, prepared. I see that. Although I probably would have voted for Tracy Flick because, you know, she may be uh, kind of cutthroat, but she's going to get the job done. She's know? a lot smarter than Chris Klein's Paul character. Exactly. And then people always, uh, then you had Chris Klein's, uh, his, his Paul character had the sister who ran for the th- almost the third party president, I guess you would say. She ran out of bitterness for her brother and was kind of a burn the establishment down, don't vote at all kind of uh, candidate. And we've heard a few candidates been compared to that in the past. So, um, yeah, I think it's a it's a great movie that kind of shows uh, the absurdity of politics sometimes. And uh, I, I think it holds up well. Uh, a couple films I think that I think uplift us. I know politics can be really depressing, but if you want to watch something that makes you feel good about politics, uh, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, uh, the old Jimmy Stewart, Frank Capra film where he plays a actually a Boy Scout leader who gets chosen to select a Senate vacancy and then kind of uncovers a scandal and uses a filibuster, which uh, I know those filibuster rules have been changed recently, which is can be good or bad depending on the issue. Um, but Jimmy Stewart reminds us of someone standing up for what they believe in and one man can really make a difference, which is something that I think we, uh, need to hear sometimes when we feel like, uh, hopeless, like we can't do anything different. Um, Jimmy Stewart reminds us that, and that's kind of the feel good Frank Capra films. Frank Capra back in the day was labeled as a communist by, uh, Joseph McCarthy because a lot of his films dealt with the evils of capitalism or political machines. Uh, it's a wonderful life. They were trying to say people shouldn't go see because uh, of course, Mr. Potter was a representation of evil capitalists. And so Frank Capra was kind of ahead of his time in that way. And um, Mr. Smith goes to Washington is a nice uplifting film about politics. It is a good movie. I haven't seen it since I, like I was in high school or college. I think I actually watched it in a film class in college, but uh Jimmy Stewart is always entertaining. Uh, when you team he and Capra together, the results are obvious. I mean, both that and It's a Wonderful Life are both great movies. So, hard to go uh, wrong. 
Uh, any others that you want to mention before I mention a few? I remember seeing Bullworth back when I was in high school. I probably remember the movie more from uh, the song Ghetto Superstar. That's a great song. Yeah. Uh, Warren Beatty's a good filmmaker. He's really funny in the movie. Um, if I remember right, the movie's a little schizophrenic. It's kind of serious and goofy and this, that, and the other. But uh, some good supporting performances from Don Cheadle and Halle Berry. If you haven't seen it, worth a look. If you're looking for another uplifting political film to watch, The American President, written by Aaron Sorkin, who, of course, went on to write The West Wing and create that show, so he knows a thing or two about politics. Um, Michael Douglas gives a great lead performance. Annette Benning, supporting roles by Martin Sheen, um, Richard Dreyfuss, uh, Michael J. Fox. Um, it's a, a funny film. Um, I think the Richard Dreyfuss's character who almost kind of looks like Dick Cheney. So that was kind of, uh, I don't know if that was intentional for years later. I think Richard Dreyfuss played Dick Cheney in the Oliver Stone uh, version of the W movie. I think that's correct. So uh, American President's another good one to watch. If you want something a little more cynical about politics, uh, Citizen Kane, of course, one of the greatest films ever made. I think it is number one on AFI's top uh, – hundred films ever made uh, obviously deals with Charles Kane and his lust for power. Um, I would, you consider that a political film, don't you think? Yeah. Again, it's been a while. I watched it in film classes back in college. I think I had to watch it in more than one film class. Uh, our buddy, uh, Chris Weisner, it's like his favorite movie of all time, but I always found it kind of overrated. If I'm being completely honest, I, I, it respect, is overrated. It. I respect it more than I enjoy it. 100%. I, Pretty much like good on you, Greg Tolan. You invented these lenses, and the movie looks awesome, but uh, doesn't do a whole lot for me. I do want to touch real briefly on American President. Uh, it's one of my wife's favorite movies, like in her top five. If it's on cable, she watches it like every single time. Um, I find it kind of hard to watch Sorkin stuff at this point in time, just because we move so far from there. I need to get one of those stupid red hats that says make America Sorkin again, because that's what we should be watching the West wing, watching American president. It reminds us of who we are when we are working to be what we should be. So I rewatched the whole West wing series probably a year or two ago. Uh, and the interesting thing about it is the Republicans and the Democrats on the show are far more moderate than what we see nowadays. And the issues that divide them are such minor issues Sure. Um, I think today's politics, if you were to put it on the West Wing, would be so unbelievable. Probably today's politics are more unbelievable than even for Scandal, for that kind of political show, so or for House of Cards almost. So, uh, But the West Wing is a reminder, I think, of good people trying to do the right thing. Uh, it, it's something that we all kind of need to feel... The last few, it was kind of getting stale as a show at one point, and they kind of reinvigorated with the election between Jimmy Stewart and Alan Alda in the last season and a half. So it kind of ends. Not J- Jimmy Smiths, right? Jimmy Smiths. Did I say what I say? You said Jimmy Stewart. You're you're back in Mister Mister Smith territory. You'd be pretty old then. They, I, I, he would have worked. Uh, he was cryogenically frozen. They wheeled him out. He looked fantastic. My wife always teases me because whenever I try to do my Jimmy Stewart impersonation, it always sounds like Barney Fife from, uh, you know, Andy Griffith show. Sure. 
But there's sure. there's definitely a gray area there between Barney Fife and Jimmy Stewart when you're trying to do that impersonation. You got some you got some Mr. Furley energy to you, man. It's not a bad. Thing. <laughs> a little um, yeah, a couple others. I'm just going to list them off quickly. Of some good political films you're looking for, All the President's Men, uh, True Story of Watergate with Robert Redford and Dustin Hoffman, um, Doctor Strange Love, kind of a political film. There's a the Situation Room, kind of about the nuclear war. Stanley it's not an apolitical film for sure. <laughs> yeah, uh, The Great Dictator with Charlie Chaplin. I think Charlie Chaplin's best film and um, one of his few talkies that he did later. Uh, and it was one of the first films to really reference Adolf Hitler. It referenced Hitler before the United States entered the war. So it was kind of a big deal that he had the guts to lampoon Adolf Hitler at that time. Uh, so groundbreaking in that sense. Um, the Manchurian Candidate, definitely the original, I think, is superior than the remake. For sure. Uh, but the remake's not terrible. Um, All the King's Men, again, the original, superior than the remake. Uh, that will actually won Best Picture. A um, couple others, Wag the Dog, My Fellow Americans. An underrated one that I'm not going to say is so great that most people don't know about, uh, a George Clooney-directed film, The Ides of March, starring That's Ryan good. Gosling. It's a good movie. Very good performances from both of those guys. Evan Rachel Woods in it as well. Um, it's a good movie. And then I think the ultimate political film that I think summarizes – Unfortunately, where we might be going as a society, Idiocracy by Mike Judge. Um, President Camacho. <laughs> uh, the creator of Beavis and Butthead and King of the Hill and Office Space uh, took on politics in a way. And it's a story where Luke Wilson plays uh, an army, the, the ultimate average American mediocre who gets stuck in a cryogenic tube, wakes up hundreds of years in the future to find out that society has devolved into a bunch of idiots. And the premise, which unfortunately might be true, is that the dumber Americans were procreating much faster than the smarter Americans. And Darwin's joke on us was that we would all turn into a society where uh, Fart would be the Oscar-winning film. A picture of a butt, what was that? Um it's been about 15 years since I've seen that movie. I do remember the intro being hilarious where they show diagrams and like scenarios in which the dumb people are procreating and smart people choose not to. Some guy like jumps a jet ski into an above ground pool. It was really, really funny. That's the best part of the movie in my uh, opinion. Great performance by Terry Crews as the porn star pro wrestler turned president. Uh, and Dax Shepard, uh, Mr. Kristen Bell himself uh, gives a really good performance as a really, really dumb person. Uh, I remember right, Justin Long's in that too, and he's pretty funny as well. He's got like a 30-second cameo that is is pretty good as a doctor who, uh, yeah, everyone there in the future kind of talks like the guy at the gas station that uh, dropped out of seventh grade. That's who... Uh, the whole film is basically... You're talking about me like I'm not even here and it hurts my feelings. <laughs> uh, anything else that you're excited to coming out or anything you want to mention? Uh, I'm going back to the theater again this week. I'm going to go see Come Play on Monday. It'll, Halloween will be over, but it's another uh, horror movie. Uh, this one's starring Gillian Bell from Community. I think Steven Spielberg was involved maybe as like an executive producer. 
Uh, looking forward to seeing that. Um, there are some more movies coming out in the upcoming weeks. Uh, there's a new movie with Kevin Costner and Diane Lane called Let Him Go. And uh, a body swap horror comedy called Freaky coming out appropriately enough on Friday the 13th. Uh, with Vince Vaughn and uh, Catherine Newton, who you may remember from Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri, and Blockers. Yeah, that premise is interesting. So it's a horror serial killer film based on like the Freaky Friday concept of what if the girl switches bodies to the serial killer, what would happen then? It looks fun. I mean, the trailer was good. The posters have been pretty slick. Uh, I kind of get the suspicion Vaughn's not the nicest guy in real life, but He's been doing some really interesting work the last handful of years, um, doing the movies with S. Craig Zoller, uh, Dragged Across Concrete, and uh, Brawl in Cell Block 99. Uh, I know a lot of people didn't like season two of True Detective, but I thought he was really good on there as well. And he did a movie earlier this year that I thought was outstanding, and I thought he was great in, called Arkansas. So uh, looking forward to seeing him do something different. Um, but also kind of honing in on those comedy chops that we always knew him from 10, 15 years ago. Yeah, he's been kind of doing more drama recently. And um, after watching the terrible remake of Psycho that he was in dramatic, which he wasn't terrible, but it was just a really unnecessary film to begin. It was kind of ill-advised. A lot of talented people got together to make a movie we didn't really need. It was a big-budget experiment. That's the best way to call it. Um, well, on that note, have a good Halloween. You as well. Thank you. Be sure to check your Halloween candy, Alec. I really, you know, sometimes people are going to put razor blades or, or drugs in your candy, and I just want to make sure you're okay, all right? This is a PSA. Nobody's giving your kids their drugs. <laughs> they want to do the drugs themselves. They're not giving your kids their drugs. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if that ever happened. It's one of those urban legends, but I remember as a kid having to – check our Halloween candy. I think it was actually an excuse for our parents just to see what we had and maybe steal a Snickers bar or two. I'm not entirely sure how I go about handing out candy or if I'm like, generally I get a hundred or 200 kids a year coming to my house. I don't know how many are going to be coming here this year. I'll probably just be outside in a mask. You have, you have tongs. You've got salad tongs. Use that. I'll just put gloves and a mask on and just throw candy at them. I don't, Fine. Well, the truth is, actually, the CDC came out and said, if done right, it could be one of the low-risk activities. Um, you don't necessarily, even if it's pre-packaged, you're safe. You don't necessarily have to wrap, clean it off because the surfaces aren't the huge concern. It's yeah, it more seems the, to be more like spittle. And- yeah, that's more of the concern than actually touching things with your hands. Um, but the real concern would be the Halloween parties this weekend. Um, and that's really the adults. People going out to a bar, making out with a stranger. That's what the CDC is think would cause the spread more than kids trick-or-treating. So, so you advise against me making out with strangers. Tonight. Don't make out with any strangers this weekend, okay? I'm too afraid of my wife to do that anyways. I mean, I, yeah. COVID might kill me, but my wife would get me first. Yes. You you should be more afraid of Jamie than, than <laughs> coronavirus. So. 100% I am. 100%. On that note, happy Halloween, and uh, have a spooky time, Alec. (laughs) Thank you. It was fun. Good talking with you.